My name is Mariah, and I'm an overworker. I have an issue with taking rest. I am not sure how to do it at times. Um, I really don't know how to turn it off. And I don't know if that is something any of you struggle with, but I believe that to engage in rest in our culture is an act of resistance. Because, let's be honest, busy is the default. Busy is the expectation, whether it is put on us or it is one that we pick up for ourselves. And we asked a few of you to let us know what busy is to you, what it looks like for you. And so let's take a few moments and just hear from some other members of our community of what busy looks like for them. Um, well, there's good busyness and bad busyness. And the good busyness, I think, is sometimes actually quite restful when like, I have things I want to do and I'm making good progress and getting the things I need done. Um, but then there's a certain point where like the list of things to do gets scary and overwhelming and that kind of busyness is just a little bit frantic. Busyness is a constant go, 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 um, which is very self-sacrificing to always be going. Busyness is the entirety of the, the work week. Um, waking up early, making sure that the baby has everything she needs to head to school, that we have everything we need to head to work, and then during the work day, of course, I'm always on the phone, always doing something, so um, juggling that is busy. I love that they kind of captured in just those that really one minute the gamut of busy. And to be honest, busy isn't bad, or to maybe think of it as productive or engaged. Um, in and of itself, it isn't bad. But I love how Dana in particular described it, how you can go from this idea of being really engaged in something and productive and enjoying it, but then getting to the point where there's not enough time in the day to get it done. Feeling that overwhelm and that pressure where you know that the end is not in sight. So working or engaging in labor isn't bad. We're actually invited to co-create with God. I love thinking of it that way, of co-creating more goodness in the world with God. That is, that is what God entrusts us with. But when our lives become so consumed with our labor, whether we are paid for it or not, let me just make that distinction. Because some of us may stop our work day, but we go right into a second shift or sometimes even a third shift of continually laboring. So much so that we do not take a rest, as we like to say. Well, I'll get there. That's that go, go, go that one of them described on that video doing more than can ever fit in a day. Because, let's face it, there will always be more to do. There will always be another load of laundry, won't there? Even if you get it all done, you're still wearing clothes that need to be washed. 
and sometimes the same with the workload that we experience in our jobs. We chase, we chase an elusive finished, believing that we will rest as a reward for finishing, that we have to work to earn our rest, that we have to actually do something to deserve it. And this is a lie that we believe when we overwork. When we fill the calendar to the brim, telling ourselves that we will rest later. Oh, I will, I will, I will work hard and I will play hard. Well, I've shared with you, I think some of your vacations sound exhausting. Like, they sound fun. Like, I, I'd be willing to come along. Um, but they don't sound necessarily restful. Because rest for me is when we are able to remember who we are and whose we are. And last week, we, we delved into this idea that rest is actually a gift from God. That in ordering creation, God set a rhythm. And I love to think of it that way, as a rhythm of work and rest. And we read that because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them, in six days, but rested on the seventh, that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Again, we do not take or make time for rest. It is a gift from God. It is a gift that God has given us from the very beginning and then even makes a command for us to rest and tells us to keep it, protect it, honor it. And for me, kind of understanding that is one thing, but then how do I do it? How do I protect it? Because if, if we don't, and this comes from Wayne Mueller, if we don't allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. If we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, let me just say this for us again. Illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. We need rest. And if we do not keep our rest, our rest will take us. Now, last week I asked you to kind of reflect on rest looks like for you. And, and I never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do or something maybe even I need to do. Again, I really just preach to myself. You guys are just here for fun. Um, I ask you to kind of think about what it is, what does rest look like for you? And for me, I started to think about what, when was a time that I felt rested? kind of help define that for myself. Now, the funny thing is that first thing that came to mind was something that I experienced 10 years ago. And I have experienced rest since then. I, I promise you that. I haven't, you know, neglected it that long. But 10 years ago, I had this amazing opportunity as part of um, my seminary education, that's pastor school, um, to go to Israel for five weeks and work on an archaeological dig on a biblical site. This was a phenomenal experience in my life. Um, 
And as I said, I was there for five weeks, but it was about week three that I realized I feel really rested. It was almost intoxicating, y'all. Um, and it, the funny thing is that when I was there, I was engaged in really physical work. Now, sometimes we think of archaeology and the work that we do is like, tick, 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 you know, really not physically demanding. Well, they took one look at me and they said, oh, you could pull the plow. Get her a shovel and a pickaxe. So I got to spend five weeks really learning to shovel dirt into buckets that then I lifted and put into wheelbarrows that I then pushed off the site so we could see what we were working with. I was on an area of the site that was really working with the fortifications, the walls. And so this is big work. This isn't delicate, dainty work with pottery. This was big work. They didn't really worry about the rocks. And I was like that, but I was so physically tired at the end of the day. Like I was engaged in a lot of labor, but I felt rested. And I started to ask myself, why did I feel so rested? And I realized that in that experience, I didn't have to make a lot of decisions. I was told what to do and where to go almost every day. Food was provided in a mess hall, so I didn't have to cook or think about that. I just had to go, do I want that on my plate or not? So there weren't a lot of decisions to be made. I wasn't in charge. I was outside a lot. I was moving. And one other thing that occurred to me is that I was learning. I was learning something very interesting to myself, but didn't have to have an application right away. See, every week for what I do here involves a lot of sitting in front of a laptop and a pile of books and sifting through it to create a message for you with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I make a lot of decisions. Should I include this or not? Is this relevant or not? Is this important for them to know to understand this or not? So there's a lot of decisions going on. And I'm sitting on my butt in front of that laptop. And maybe some of you can identify with that as being somewhat exhausting. And that was the exact opposite experience that I had in Israel. See, I can't go weekly to Israel, but can I make some choices in my week that where I have a time where I don't make a lot of decisions? Or maybe have an opportunity to go outside, or maybe learn something that has no usefulness, but is simply interesting to me in the moment. That is, is kind of the essence of what rest looks like for me. And that may be different for you, but I, I walked you through what I did. So maybe if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling, what is, what is rest for you? Maybe think back to the last time that you experienced rest or another time that you did and what are the elements in that because not we can't all go to the beach every week but what is it about that time that feels restful to you that can be repeatable on a weekly basis you know thinking through this and what it what it means for us to experience rest it made so much sense to me. Like, I'm like, you know, yeah, I don't always enjoy all the decisions I have to make. That stress that comes with it. Because that requires energy. And, and I enjoy the work that I do. But there's a point where I want to stop. You know, when I think about it, yeah, my, my favorite restaurant is I don't care. 
And my favorite food is you pick. Because I think at the end of the day, I'm so tired of making decisions. And maybe that's something for you to consider. Because making decisions doesn't seem like a lot of work because it's not physical, but yet it is. Because it requires the work of our brain. We don't often think of our brain consuming energy, but it does. That when we experience stress or make decisions or engage in that, we are using energy. So no wonder rest might be a time where you don't. So thinking about what rest looks like for you, and if you didn't get a chance to kind of engage in that question, I encourage you to do so. Figure out what rest looks like for you because that's going to help you determine what it is to protect it, to keep it. See, we get bogged down into thinking that rest as a Sabbath practice should always just be me sitting quietly with my Bible. And that can be a part of it. But God created us. And all those unique qualities that are in us, why wouldn't part of that be rest for us? Because rest is to be a delight an enjoyment. And so I put that question to you. What does rest look like for us? And I know that we get caught up in the idea of a, a Sabbath as, well, I can't take a whole day, Mariah. This is just not a season of my life where I can do that. Don't, don't get caught up in that particular at this moment. Don't get caught up in I can't take a day. Again, you don't take it. But where can you keep some time for rest? Maybe it's just an afternoon. Maybe it's just an hour. Start where you can and allow it to grow. Allow it to become a rhythm and a practice in your life. So do what we can right now rather than just dismiss it because we can't do the whole thing. That's not how you run a marathon anyway. You don't start with 26.2 miles. You usually start with one. So as we look to what it is to keep a Sabbath, keep rest, what is it that renews us? What is it that delights us? What restores us? Where maybe do you feel God's delight? And then, most importantly, let's embrace the language that God has given us for this. To keep the Sabbath. To protect it. Because, I'll be honest, if I have to take something, especially time, I won't. And even more so if it's for myself. But if I get to keep something that's different, it means it's mine already to enjoy. Not earn, not deserve, enjoy. I treat gifts that I receive very differently. I want to honor them. So let's change the way we think about rest and Sabbath first. That it's a gift that we receive, that we keep it, that we protect it. Because when we think about taking time, it's so easy to not, to put it off, to tell ourselves, oh, next week I'll get to that. I've got too much to do this week. I need to finish this. 
But when I think about keeping it safe, I guard it, that's a different mindset for me. It means that it has value. It's not something I want to waste or fritter away. We protect what we value. And the funny thing is that when I was thinking about what brought me where I found rest, and when that memory of Israel came to mind, in that dig, the funny thing is that dig led me to our passage today. Now, see, I told you that I got to work on the part of the site that was the fortifications. And there's some pictures up here of what Bronze Age fortifications look like for us, just to give you an idea of where we were. This is actually from Jerusalem, um, of a wall in the city itself. But this image itself here is where I was working. That's not me, by the way. Um, but these huge walls would encircle a city, a town. That was their fortification. That was their protection. And they were massive in many ways. They were constructed of stone and mortar. And sometimes they would even create two sets of walls. So there would be an outer wall and then an inner section that would be plastered. And then another wall. And the thing is, if the enemy got through the first wall, they were stuck. Because they're not going to tear down the whole wall. They're just going to breach it. They're going to create a little window or a little doorway for themselves. And then suddenly they're stuck and they're trapped. And beyond that other wall, that second wall, you can rain down fire on them. You can shoot your arrows at them and they are stuck. And because it's plastered, there's nowhere to hide. And that's what we were looking for. That's what we were digging for to find them on this site for this city. And I started to think about that and think about that in terms of what it is to protect Time, what it is to keep Sabbath, to keep out the enemies that want to take it from me. And this image was so powerful to have a place of refuge, a place of refuge in the time that we are given. I don't often think of time that way, but yet I need it and I hunger for it. And Psalm 46 has been a, a psalm in my life, and there's a verse in particular that comes from this psalm. And remember, the psalms are the song book of the Bible. They are poems and songs that were sung, memorized, used in worship, but also to retell the story of Israel. And this verse... In verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I have said this verse for decades now. And sometimes I almost treat it like a magic spell and I shouldn't, but it's just, it becomes a verse that I will meditate on when I am feeling particularly anxious because it reminds me to stop. Which is kind of the idea of Sabbath, is to stop or to cease our working. That's kind of where I started to go with it. But the thing about scripture is that context is critical. Context matters. 
We always want to see what's going on in the bigger picture. So allow me to read this psalm for us today before we dig into it a little bit more. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in troubles. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Doesn't our lives feel like that? We feel like if we stop, that will happen. If we stop moving, we stop doing, the earth is going to fall apart, doesn't it? Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46 is the passage that Martin Luther looked to for inspiration when he wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he did this somewhere between 1527 and 1529, I think. And he wrote this while he was being threatened with execution. He was being threatened because of his teachings on the Christian faith and the authority of the church. These events would revolt, result in what we call the Reformation and result in the Protestant movement that would become the churches and denominations that many of us know today. It started with Martin Luther, as, you know, kind of legend tells us. He nailed the 95 Theses to the church door. Those teachings, though, were a threat to power in the church the big church, the organized church, powerful political church. They wanted him dead. He felt shaken. And literally, nations were raging at him. I can't imagine the pressure that he probably felt to cave, to give in, to maybe start to apologize and say, no, 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 I didn't mean that. But if you've studied any history, you know that that is not who Martin Luther was. <laughs> really an interesting guy so he was bold but I have no doubt that he felt great fear for his life with this threat of execution and Luther looked to the Psalms for strength and comfort in the midst of this and here in this Psalm God is being compared to a mighty fortress and I have this image of the writer of this psalm looking to the cities, maybe even looking at Jerusalem, which would have had these walls around it. The walls that were constructed so that an enemy could not take it by force. A fortress 
where we find safety, where we find security, where maybe we can rest knowing we are secure. The thing is, when we talked about rest last Sunday, we talked about rest having this feeling of stability, security, of equilibrium. And the imagery in this psalm, I think, lives into that, of finding a place where there are walls around you that resist the forces coming at you. They will stand firm. They will protect you. Finding sanctuary in God. Finding refuge. Now verse 10. That verse, be still and know that I am God. Is actually a challenge to the nations. It's delivered as God's voice. Delivered to these great nations to stop thinking they are so great. Stop thinking they can do what they like in the world. Now, I have read this so often as an invitation for me to quiet myself. To stop. To find peace within me. And I think for us, though, a fuller understanding is to understand it within that challenge that God delivers in that psalm. A challenge to cease our striving, our need to be in control, and instead to recognize that God is in charge. To pause pause and see the wonder of the world before us. To lift our eyes from the labor that is what consumes us. And instead see the beauty of the world God has created. And to know that that world does not need us to spin on its access. Even though we live our lives like it does. And that in that to know God, and to know who God is. This, my friends, is how I believe that we fight the busy that comes at us like an enemy foe every day. To swim against the current of our culture's pressure, to always do more, to be more, to put our kids in all the things, to overwork in our jobs, to overwork in our homes, to feel that we only deserve rest when it is finished. But instead, to stop, to look to God as our source of refuge from the expectations that rage at us, the demands that we place on ourselves, and to simply be still at least for one day. So how do we keep? How do we protect? How do we build walls around what God has given us? 
how do we truly value that time that we have been given? First, again, we know that it is a gift. We know that it has value. And then a practical tip for us maybe to evaluate, to look at our priorities. My question for us is rest one of those priorities. If it isn't, I recommend that you put it in there. And then most importantly, how do we order them? How do we order those priorities in our lives? Where do we give the majority of our attention, our presence? Now, I saw this illustration probably 20 years ago at least. And many of it, you may be familiar with it as well, but I think it is a good reminder. And so I want us to take a look at this video that involves some rocks, some pebbles, and some sand in a jar as we think There's about what it is to prioritize rest. A university professor that wanted to make a point about the importance of prioritizing how we spend our time. The professor stood in front of his class with a display of items. He took a large empty jar and filled it with rocks, approximately two inches in diameter. He then asked the class if the jar was full, and they agreed, yes, the jar was full. The professor then took a box of pebbles and added them to the jar and gave it a little shake to move the pebbles into the open areas around the rocks. The professor asked the class again if the jar was full. They agreed, yes, it is full this time. The professor then took a box of sand and added it to the jar filling the spaces between the rocks and the pebbles. He asked again, now, is the jar full? They laughed and agreed, yes, it's full. This jar represents your life. The big rocks signify the really important things in your life, such as health, family, and friends. The pebbles are the other things that matter in your life, such as work or school. And the sand, signifies the remaining small stuff, such as material possessions. Now, if you were to reverse the order of filling the jar and add the sand first, there would not be enough room for the rocks and the pebbles. The same principle applies to your life. If you spend too much time on the small stuff, you won't have enough space or time to focus on the things that are truly important, the big rocks. So, prioritize the big rocks first. Practice self-care, spend quality time with the people you love, and the rest is just pebbles and sand. They will always find some space. What goes in your jar first? I'll confess, I fill my time first with work. And then everything else kind of comes after it. So to think about what it is to reverse the order that I put the rocks in. I don't believe that I necessarily fill my jar with a bunch of sand, but there's a good amount in there. And, and let me say this first. The idea is really not to fill the jar with everything, but to fill the jar with what we value, to fill the jar with what matters. The things that at the end of our lives, we're going to say, I had no regrets about this. 
you sit with enough people at the end of their lives and they'll tell you, I regretted I didn't spend enough time with my family. I regretted doing this more than this. Where do we want to be? Because sometimes that's how we have to think about it. What needs to go in that jar first? What do we value? The important things. And one of those is rest. When we look at the time in our lives and how we are to fill it, the important things are the ones that matter. And if we start there, we actually start with rest, maybe. If we start with relationships, faith, the rest will fall in. The rest will happen. And when I think about it, when, when I think about what I give my full attention to, that is what busy robs me of the most. Not that good, productive, like I'm in a groove, I'm doing something worthwhile, busy. I'm talking about the hectic pace and that every second must be filled for me to have worth. Which is a huge lie that I live out too much. Busy robs me of my ability to give my best to my people, to my kids, to my husband, my friends, my family. And that is what I want to be able to give. But I can't give from an empty jar. I need to stop and find that rest to keep it, to protect it so that I can give my full presence to this life, not my tired and distracted self. So my friends, as we kind of engage in this, what it is that brings us rest, and that can look different for all of us, truly, but where is it that we stop laboring and we start enjoying? Where is it that we feel the delight of God? Where is it that we feel restored and renewed? What does that for us? And then how will you keep it? How will you protect it? How will you organize your calendar in order to keep that well? What are the big rocks that need to go in first? And it may be we need to have more conversations with the people in our lives about this. That this is actually a communal and family effort for us. Maybe we need to have conversations in our work lives, too, of, hey, guys, I work Monday through Friday. I'm not checking email on the weekends. If it's an emergency, call me. And we live in a world where we don't call anybody anymore, so you don't have to worry about them bugging you. Truly. But we need to start having some of those conversations. You know, where can we take time as a family where we're not running, where we're not doing, where we're not trying to be all the things. Having conversations with people about this, about the importance of it. And the thing is, you're going to be swimming upstream. You're going to be pushing against the expectations and the norms. But in that, you might actually find some common ground with people. People will go, I want that too. And usually the people who push back the most 
are the ones who are resentful of you actually engaging in that because they want it too. They just don't see how they can have it. How do we stop and fight against this? And starting by seeing that God is in control. God is in charge. And then to live into that and to protect that time he has given us. Six days of labor, one day of rest. And again, start somewhere. And ask yourself, what would your life look like if you protected that time, if you gave yourself to that time, enjoyed the gift that God has given you, in which you remember who you are and whose you are. Amen.